You can be seated. I remember growing up, we would go to church and on Wednesday nights, we would have Bible study. But before Bible study, we would have this thing called prayer meeting. And in prayer meeting, you would, you would have this group of people who gathered, and um, these would be the ones that would be lifting up different things. And, and you would go into this time of prayer, and it wasn't always just prayer, but they would, they would sing what you call the old 100s. They would, they would have these hymns, and that I surrender all was one. And, and one, they would have this, this hymn that said, Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry. While on others thou art called. All in, do not pass me by. I'm calling you, Savior, Savior. Hear my humble cry. Oh, wow. Lona, this thou art called all in. Do not pass me by. It was not that they knew that singing a song would, would invite God into the space because he was already there. It was that they had been through some things that week, and then the suffering and the stress of the week, it could almost seem as though God had passed them by. And they sung more not so to call on God, but to reaffirm their self in the fact that God was there and concerned and cared for them in the midst of what they were going through. If you're here this morning... I want to welcome you to Fellowship High Crest. I want to let you know that God is already here and ready to meet you where you're at. It starts with the power of his Holy Spirit. It then proceeds into the word that is found there in your seats. If you don't have a Bible, then take that one as our gift to you. If you don't have a Bible that's easy to read, then please take that one as our gift to you. If you know someone that doesn't have a Bible or doesn't have one that's easy to read, then please take that one and give it to them as a gift from the both of us. It goes from the power of the Spirit to his word and then in the context of his people. There is power in coming together. And lifting up our Savior's name and being reminded of his promises to us. This morning, we dive into week two of our new sermon series, Middle Manager. This series is all about handling money's God way. 
If you uh, did not have the opportunity to be with us last week, then I want to encourage you um, to go out to either our website, fellowshiphighchrist.com, or to our app, FBC Mobile. Um, There's a High Christ tab where you can listen uh, to that sermon. I really encourage you. Now, our focal passage for today is a, a familiar one to a lot of people. It's quoted in different parts. But I hope to give some more context and a more fuller view of this passage this morning in our brief time. It's found on page 580 of those Bibles that are in your seats. If this is your first time, I want to let you know that the reason you see the page number instead of the verse is because we want you to know that what we're saying actually comes from the Word of God. And so we want you to be in there for yourself this morning. Would you join me there uh, in Matthew 6? starting with the 19th verse through the 34th verse this morning where our focal passage comes from. There at the 19th verse of chapter 6 of the book of Matthew, it starts by saying this, Do not store up treasures here on earth, where moths eat them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Your eye is a, like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or uh, enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. Don't they plant or uh, they don't plant or harvest or store in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. Don't They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautiful as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly father already knows all your needs. I need you to hear that this morning. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. This is God's word. A couple of weeks ago, my therapist gave me some homework. Yes, I am currently in therapy. 
If you are here this morning and you're going through these two chapters of rooted of where is God in suffering and breaking strongholds, and there is something that God is revealing in your life through his Holy Spirit and in the community of your rooted group. Yes, pray. Yes, read your Bible, but also seek out help. It is not a form of weakness. It is a form of maturity. When I returned with my homework complete, my therapist noticed that I had had gastric bypass surgery. So she asked about when I had it, and I willingly replied. She didn't ask how old I was when I had it, but she already knew that because it was on the paper. And I willingly replied. See, my wife is a therapist, and I kind of knew where this was going. I was getting set up. (laughs) She then affirmed me in saying, wow, you've done really good, and you've sustained an incredible amount of weight loss over such a long period of time. I replied, why, thank you. She didn't ask, would, would you do it again? And I quickly responded, yes. And, and she asked, is there anything about it that you regret? And I, a little less willingly, responded, no. She didn't ask, why did I get the surgery? And for probably the first time ever, I told the truth. See, until this point, when I was asked this question, I gave, I gave that Sunday school answer. I did a Jesus juke. Here's what a Jesus juke is. When you make a post that people don't like on social media and they post a prayer on your page, that's a Jesus juke. <laughs> we all know the Jesus juke. And so what I, did, what I normally answer was, well, you know, in order to fulfill the plan that God has for my life, I have to have my body. Or, you know, I had all these options and I was graduating. I just wanted my, my options more fully open. And so that's why I had the surgery. Well, the truth is this. I had someone very important in my life tell me at a young age that no one wants a fat person. They told me that no matter how smart I was, no one would ever want to hire a fat person. That same person told me that I was a mistake and that I would never get a good job. And although uh, I, I thought I could prove them wrong, when I went to the store to shop for clothes, I couldn't find the stylish things that my siblings and all the other kids my ages wore. So I came up with the conclusion that clothing makers didn't want fat kids either. You know, I I was still determined to prove that influential voice wrong, but then I had teachers that told me that that until I worked to change their opinions over the course of a school year, that they they thought I was going to be this big, dumb jock, mostly because of how I looked. And, 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 and so I thought that school teachers didn't want fat kids either. There were times in my life when my friends didn't want me riding with them because I took up too much space. And there were, there were times when my friends' families would, would, wouldn't let me sit on their couches because of my size or either the color of my skin. And, and, and I had pastors that justified these actions. And so I came to the conclusion that couches and cars didn't want fat people either and that pastors were okay with it. Throughout my teen and college years, I had girls that told me, well, Jonathan, you, you're the husband type, but not the, the, the boyfriend type. 
And what they were saying is, we love how hard you work in your character, but no one wants to show off a fat boyfriend to their friends. And so I came to the conclusion that young ladies don't like fat kids either. As I was applying for jobs out of college, I had a sparkling resume, a sparkling transcript, a, a variety of sparkling internship experiences where I brought the companies, I made lots of money, and I interviewed well, but later I was told that I didn't get more offers initially because of my weight. It was like life had reaffirmed that voice in my head. I didn't have room for a ton of deep relationships in my life because if I was going to overcome being fat, then everything else in my life had to be super tight. I had to dress better. I had to have better clothes. I had to have more money in the bank. I had to have my house be cleaner. My yard had to be greener and more well-kept. I I had to be more well-read and exposed to culture. I had to be more well-traveled, but I was still alone. So I got surgery, but then my worst fear hit. I was still alone. Weight loss surgery didn't bring this flock of harems that I thought it would. All these years, fat had been my bailout. It was my protection from seeing what else might be causing me to not have the security in receiving what I wanted most. So then I thought it was my thigh. Yes, yes, I lost weight, but my thighs were still big. If I could just get my thighs to look a certain way, then then it would all go well. And so I went from plastic surgeon to plastic surgeon, and each time filling out a mountain of paperwork, and each time having to remove my clothes and pose in the most shameful positions and holding excess skin while nurses took pictures of me to submit to insurance companies. I would use whatever money I could to pull together in whatever case I can make to get thighs that would be accepted. I was eventually cut from, from waist to below my knees on both legs. But that didn't change my relational status. I had lost over 350 pounds, but something about me was still unlovable. If only I could have nice thighs and a wife and a family and friends who let me sit on their couches and ride in their cars and money in my pockets and an influential voice in my life who believed that I could be loved. But if I couldn't have any of those things, at least I could still have money. It took me all these years to admit that all of my livestock was being put in not being fat. I had optioned every resource I had to not be fat. I was depending on God. I was trusting in God to not be fat. Because in the unspoken and unconscious parts of my heart, um, being not fat would allow me to be loved and make it more comfortable for others to love me. Being not fat had become my treasure. So being not fat got my resources. All of us have something that we're chasing after. All of us have things that we name as important, experiences that we are living to get. All of us have a golden dream. There are things that we have determined 
are important that we must have. There are things that we have acquired and hoard or things that we have yet to get. And all of our lives follow this trail of decisions and choices and actions that we feel will lead us to get or help us maintain what we've already acquired. Jesus knew this, and therefore he wanted to speak with his disciples about it while he had time. Our focal passage for this morning was was spoken by Jesus, but it was recorded by Matthew. Matthew was a, a Jewish tax collector for the Romans, who before he met Jesus was known to cheat his own kinsmen to attain what he treasured. Matthew wrote to a Jewish audience. Now, I know some of that is not quite hidden with some of you yet. Just imagine with what this weekend just looked like when our Democratic senators going to be the campaign manager for our president and then meeting Jesus and writing a letter back to his Democratic friends about this Jesus they just met. That's the gravity of the book of Matthew, what just happened. So the Jews of Matthew's time were tired of being ruled by foreign leaders. They were tired of being looked down upon. They lived each day waiting until their conquering hero arrived and made their earthly rulers feel the same shame and disgrace that they carried. They couldn't wait to be in power, to have wealth, and to enjoy the comforts of having their culture be the dominant culture in the society in which they live. When the Messiah came, they felt like he would make it so, and therefore they spent every day in anticipation of that moment. They spent every day doing things that would place them in a, in a position to have the most power, the most wealth, and the most resources when their promised Messiah came. They optioned all of the stock of their life and invested their lives for when they had the chance to rule. And that's a big part of the reason they missed him when he came. In my remaining time this morning, I want to spend a few minutes describing the benefit that comes with making a relationship with Jesus, the treasure and the option that we invest our lives in. And some things that make it hard to take advantage of that benefit. So let's dive in. The benefit we have when when relationship with Jesus has become the option that we invest our lives in is that we get to choose today. We get to choose today. I want to start at the end of our focal passage and work our way back through it to see how this connects. Verse 34 of chapter 6 says this, so don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. You know, this is one of my favorite verses, and I think in Old King James it says something like, uh, sufficient for today is a trouble of his own. That's the way I first learned it. it it's something like that. And, and I, I never did understand, though, how this verse fit in the context of this talk on money and treasures and different things of that nature. I never did really make the connection until I was doing some more study because this passage is found smack dead in the middle of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. 
is found smack dead in, in between chapters 5 through 7 of the book of Matthew is referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And in this chapter, in, in the next, Jesus taught his disciples what it meant to practically live a righteous life every day. But before I jump into explaining what he was saying here, I need to define a term because we don't want to take um, for granted that you understand the terms. I use the term righteous just, just now. What it means to be righteous is, is to live in, in tune with the will of God. So in this verse, Jesus is saying, if you want to be in tune with me when it comes to the resources that I've given you on a daily basis, then you have to hear the Spirit speak and be able to obey in the moment. You have to be able to hear him speak in the moment and obey in the moment of this is what I should do. Have any of y'all ever been in that position where you like, man, okay, okay, I've heard this before. I've heard somebody say this. I've heard somebody teach this. And then... Like you look back on a moment during the day and you say, that coming. I missed that opportunity. I wish I would have said this. I wish I would have did that in the moment. So what, what he's saying is, if you want to live a righteous life practically, you have to get to the point of being in the moment of when that thing is happening and being able to hear the spirit and respond in that moment. That's what it means to be righteous. It's not the number of services you go to. It's not the number of Bible studies that you've been a part of. It's the ability to be in the moment, hear what the spirit is saying, and obey the spirit in that moment. He said if you have to be able to be present in that moment with the spirit, with your money. But here's the thing. If Jesus is not your treasure, then there's some things that make it hard to be in the moment with the spirit. And here's why. There's three things that make it hard. The first one is we trade instead of invest. We trade instead of invest. Most of us go unaware daily. We tell ourselves that if we were able to possess or experience what we have come to treasure, then we'll be satisfied and happy and finally experience the inner rest that every human being desires. We all live a if only I had blank life. But it's really true that whatever sits on the other side of your if only is what you really treasure. If anything but relationship with Jesus is on the only side, on the other side of if only I had blank, then that's what you really treasure. And that's, that's a hard statement to come. So what do you treasure? How does it shape the way you assess your life, look at yourself, relate to others, think about God and, and make the little and big decisions that every one of us have to make. In short, what in the world are you really living for? What is it that you're living for and what is your functional treasure? Whatever it is you're living for is your functional treasure and it's, and it's going to drive your decisions. No matter what you say that you profess to believe, and no matter who you say that you follow, your functional treasure will drive your decisions. If safety is your number one concern, then safety will be the thing that drives your decisions. In every situation, you'll think about, how can I be safe first? If security is your number one 
decision, then that'll be how much money we have in the bank, how much this is going to cost us will be the first thing you think about every time as the decision comes up. For me, I serve thighs. I thought if only I could get my thigh to look a certain way, then it would, it, it, it would be it. That would be it. In doing so, I did what we all do. I traded the eternal security that comes in relationship with God. I traded that security that comes in that being my treasure for the fleeting, never-lasting feeling of what I thought would bring me earthly acceptance. I was looking for immediate returns when what Scripture called me to was the plan for retirement. The second thing that makes it hard to choose today is we become nearsighted in our options. When we have chosen trading over investing, it leads us to being spiritually nearsighted because we have placed our stock, our resources, our treasure in something that is fleeting and something that will eventually let us down. We make decisions that are incapable of seeing the whole picture. In verses 22 through 23, Jesus lays it out pretty plainly. He says that if your earthly, if your physical eyes are blinded, you can still live a healthy, good life. But if the, the eye of your heart, your spiritual eye is blinding, you're just not going to be able to live how you were designed to live. You're just not going to be able to use your resources in the way that you were designed to use those resources and supposed to use those resources that you were given. For what you... Uh, For what you treasure, whatever it is you dream about, it shapes the way you see the world. It shapes the way you you make decisions. What physical thing gets your focus because they connect to the treasure that has already been commanded the focus of your heart? What is it that's commanding how you make decisions because it's already captured your heart. What are your physical eyes looking at that your heart has already been longing for? How has your way of seeing your world caused you to be discontent, driven, or envious? What do your eyes notice because your heart has already named them as important? I know these are hard questions this morning. But it's ones that all of us need to have. And the third thing that that makes it hard for us to choose today is we become day traders. Now, once we have chosen temporal over eternal and our heart's vision has become warped, we become day traders. What do I mean by that? Let's look back at verse 24 of chapter 6, and here's what it says. It says, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other, and you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Now, to understand this whole concept, we briefly have to take a peek back at the section of Scripture that's right above our focal passage for this morning. In it, Jesus approaches three major things. He approaches giving to the needy, prayer, and fasting. In approaching these, these were the three major acts of worship for Jews in the Jewish culture back then. These three acts of worship, kind of, they kind of gave an overview of all the other multiple ways that we can worship God. And so in teaching about these, 
Jesus contrasted um, true righteousness with flashy, hypocritical worship. And so another tidbit about hypocrisy, as Jesus talked about it, what, is, what was he meaning when he said hypocrisy? Now, there's, there's three different types of hypocrisy that come about. The first one is, is, is it, mean, it involves giving an impression that is incorrect, such as saying you tithe when you really don't. If you were here last week, then you saw the stats that said, hey, 17% of the people in the church say they tithe when only 3% really do. The next one involves deceiving oneself even if no one else is deceived. How does that look? It looked like this. When I was in college, every Thanksgiving break, I would take books home with me. (laughs) Knowing darn well, I wasn't opening a book until I got back on campus on Friday because I haven't done any of my homework before then. But I was posing with my backpack when I walked into the house. Right? You just deceived yourself. When you tell yourself, I'm just going to lay down and read this last little assignment. You know you're about to go to sleep before you lay there to read it. You know that, right? You're deceiving yourself. That's another form of hypocrisy. A third kind of hypocrisy involves deceiving oneself and others into thinking that what one does is for a certain purpose when it's really for a different purpose. And that's what Jesus is really talking about here. Do you give? Do you come to church? Do you serve at church, and et cetera, because you're hoping that God will help, will see it and help you attain what's really your treasure? If I go to church and I'm involved, then he'll give me that wife I want. If I go to church and I'm involved, then he'll make my business prosper. If I go to church and I give and I'm involved, then he'll keep me healthy. He'll heal me of this sickness I'm going through. That's hypocrisy. That's what Jesus was contrasting between fake worship and righteous worship. When we do these things, what it causes us to become on Sundays are day traders because we recognize that that the, the presence of the king that we're walking into doesn't match the king that we served the rest of the week. And so we have to trade kingdoms. We have to, what we do uh, in, in the minority community sometimes when we walk into environments that are a majority of another culture, we, we, we do this thing called code switching. We know what things to talk about and what things not to talk about. We know how to talk to people. We don't use certain phrases. We embrace certain types of music. That's what it causes. That's what we do on Sundays a lot of times. We code switch because we've lived this way, serving these things all week long. We're serving another king, and now we get here and we say, whoa, 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 whoa. I can't walk in there like that. I'm in the presence of the king. I got to switch now. And so we become day traders. The degree of our drive, discontent, and also our debt can show us which master we serve. Do you work more than you should to acquire more wealth and power? Is your security found in how much money is in your bank account, how nice your house is, and how nice of clothes you wear? If you have sleepless nights wondering if you're going to pay the minimum payment on several credit cards, then you're day trading. 
If you get more personal excitement from shopping than you do attending your church's worship service, maybe the outlet malls are your temple and perhaps money is your king and day trading has become your religion. Do you give more thought to your status than to the scriptures? If so, you have become a day trader. Money and earthly things are not evil. They just make very bad gods. Wealth is not evil. We just can't let it be where we put the thrust of our life into acquiring. We simply cannot serve the king of kings and have anything else as the organizing dream of our hearts. We must love the creator more than the creation. That means that we cannot have money and other things be our treasure that we crave and tell ourselves that we're living to gain the eternal treasures of the kingdom of God. There's nothing wrong with having money. There's nothing wrong with having things. My fear this morning is that we're not aware. I fear that we're not aware that money and things are the distributors of our joy. I fear that we're not aware of how much time and energy is spent into gaining, maintaining, protecting, repairing, and enjoying the physical stuff on this earth. I fear that, that we're not aware of how many hopes and dreams and sadnesses and disappointments are attached to money and things. I, I fear that we're not aware of how much we struggle with greed and entitlement and envy and covetedness. I fear how much the lack of money or the desired thing causes us to doubt the goodness of God. And because of that, I fear we don't see how all of this, and we don't recognize and realize that when we gather for corporate worship that we have to switch kingdoms. And I tell you something, a lot of other sins are easy to spot coming on. If you deal with lust, then you know when you're starting to trend toward watching certain things that you shouldn't watch and thoughts and and going to stuff on the Internet that you shouldn't go to. And you can put in covenant eyes and different things of that nature. But I tell you, greed and envy are one of those things that you're long over the line before you realize that you've crossed the line on it. And so greed and envy are, are one of those things. Covetousness are one of those things that you have to make some decisions beforehand. You have to make some decisions beforehand and you have to have some people to hold you accountable beforehand or you're not going to make it. If you don't make some decisions today, what's your cap? How much do you need to be able to live? And I'm not saying you should never take vacations. You need vacations. You need date nights. How much is it? What's your number? What's your cap? If you don't determine that, you'll spend the rest of your life looking for your next raise. That will be what drives you. But you know what all the statistics say? After you make over a certain amount, you don't increase in happiness anymore. You'll get that raise and six months later, you'll feel like they don't pay you enough. They don't respect you enough. and You still won't be satisfied. I don't want you living that kind of life. How much stuff do you need? What is it? How much do you need to be happy? You need to make that decision now. If you're married, you need to make that decision now. I'm telling you that you will live your life chasing these things and it will crumble your heart. You'll miss out on time with your family and kids, whatever it is. 
how much weight you need to lose to be happy. You'll work out six to seven days a week and miss times that you could be eating breakfast with your kids. I know. You need to make some decisions now on these things. But how do we get off this crazy train? It's in verse 33 of our focal passage. It says this. It says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Make knowing and being known by God your treasure. Choose to be in tune with the Holy Spirit day by day and moment by moment. Trust in his provision for your life and you will be able to see what Christ is asking of you today. And you will be able to have peace as you do it. You have to make these decisions now. You will be tested in these areas. If you think you won't, you'll go through a dry spell and then God will give you some extra resources. Ask yourself, what's, if you had an extra $100 now, if I said there's an extra $100 bill taped up under your seat on one of these seats in here right now, what did your mind go to that you would spend it on? Was it about being generous or on yourself? You will be tested on these things. You will have opportunities to be sacrificially generous. You will be tested. If you are here today and you have not stepped over the line of faith, I want to give you that opportunity. Stepping over the line of faith is the first step in making, knowing and being known by God your treasure. We step across the line of faith when we confess that we've sinned, when we acknowledge that because of our sin that we deserve to be punished. But when we realize that because of the grace and mercy of our eternal father, that he sent his only son to die for us so that we could have a relationship with him. He paid the cost for us. If we believe it is by that merciful act alone that we are able to have a relationship with the God of the universe, then we've crossed over from death to life and from chasing waterfalls to drinking from a well that never runs dry. If you've never made that commitment, I'm going to give you that opportunity today in just a second. I'm going to pray. We're going to pray, and the prayer is not what saves you. The prayer is just an act of trust, thanks, and a show of submission to Jesus as both Lord and Savior. If you're here and you know God, make sure that you're not optioning away the peace that is available to you, a peace that surpasses all understanding by putting the stock of your life into something that will always fail you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you're eternal, that you're graceful, that you can be trusted. It's so easy for us to trust in you for other things and for our hearts to want you for what you can give us or what you can do for us. 
Father, move our hearts to anchor themselves on you. I pray, Father, if there's somebody here that has been trying to do it on their own, they've been trying to work for approval, they've been trying to work for acceptance, they've been trying to work for a certain amount of finances or material things to find their happiness in, that today they would say, I'm giving it up. I'm taking the peace that's available in Jesus Christ today. Father, move in this place. Have us be a people that truly treasure you, knowing you and what you have to offer. We praise you. We thank you. We love you. In your darling son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.